0: All right. Well, if you'll turn with me, let's go to Psalm 19. I know I've got to go to Psalm 19. <clears throat> I'll try to be concise. In fact, that's what my text is titled, Psalm, Psalm 19, concise. And uh, yeah, yeah. The chuckles are not without warrant, let me just tell you. Let's talk about it. Psalm 19. More than 20 years ago as a college undergrad studying the natural sciences, this psalm really drew my attention, and I think probably anybody that loves nature and the outdoors and has a love for some of those and affection for some of those is going to be drawn to this psalm. There's perhaps no brief section of Scripture that gives a clearer testimony to the truth of God's Word than the psalm before us. Um, It's kind of a Psalm 119 in miniature, if you're not familiar with that, Mm -hmm. Psalm 119 is The longest psalm, and it's focused on God's Word and the great things about God's Word, extolling God's Word, and Psalm 19 is actually doing that as well, but it's doing this in a a contrasting way. So before we get into the exegesis, let's, uh, let's read through it together. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, the words to the ends of the world. In them he's set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they're righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret sins. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This is an inspired psalm of David. So though the human author is David, its di- a divine author is really God the Holy Spirit. And we know that. We know that all of Scripture, the testimony of Scripture about itself, in fact, is that Scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? Well, it means it's breathed out by God. These men who were writing it were not writing out of just the things that they knew. They were writing as the Holy Spirit was directing and leading them. Boy, I'm trying to get this stopwatch going. It's trying to not work for me. So even though the human author is David, the divine author is the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice that there's a theme in this psalm. The theme in this psalm is that God has revealed himself and his glory in two very different ways. This psalm is a contrast of those two ways. First, in verses 1 to 6, he's revealed himself in his creation. Or we might say it this way, he's revealed himself in his world. Then in verses 7 to 14, the psalm shifts and says, basically, God has revealed Himself in His world, but in an even greater way, God has revealed Himself in His Word. God is revealing Himself in two distinctly different and yet intertwined ways. And so the theological terms that we use a lot of times are the general revelation of God and the special revelation of God. We say that God has revealed Himself to all mankind, all humanity, in all the things that he's created, his world. We call that general revelation. We, we say it's general in the sense that it's available to everyone. Everyone has this. In fact, the psalm tells us every person that's ever lived on this earth ever since the creation of the world has had this, this testimony of creation to them. And that testimony of creation is, in fact, enough to condemn all men. That's why, remember, we talked about Romans 1. Romans 1 says, all men are without excuse. And something of the horrific nature of mankind is that our heart can be so hard that even though we are without excuse, without God's special revelation, without God's word, we may be condemned, but we cannot find salvation. We can look through the stars and we can have enough Evidence of God as creator and enough testimony of him to condemn us through that telescope but it takes the scripture to bring us the news of salvation this book is not just another book it's the one that's indispensable for all mankind so first we have the non-verbal revelation then we have the verbal revelation there's an unwritten revelation that's God's creation there's a written revelation We begin with the opening six verses describing the general revelation of God. That God has put himself on display so that all can see. The psalmist reinforces that he wants us to know the heavens are continually telling us about the glory of God. Night after night, day after day. All of creation obviously testifies about God as creator. But the psalmist here, David, picks that which is most obvious. A fact that's obvious to every human that's ever lived. We go outside and we look at the heavens. We've been staying with the the Gingers this week, and I'll tell you this. I am jealous of the view that they have at their place. We go out there and it's just, you know, they turn the house lights off. It's dark, man. And when it's dark, you can see the stars so clearly. You can see the Milky Way so clearly. In fact, it was so clear that it actually threw me a little bit. The first night I was here, I was having trouble finding some of the constellations because I could see more stars than I was used to. It was so clear. And God says that that testimony has rung out throughout all of creation. He's put himself on display. He's done it in a way that every person can hear. No speech necessary, no words necessary. They can still hear the clear testimony of creation crying out about its creator. And that's why God's obvious hand in creation makes the atheist a fool. When the Scripture says that atheist, the, the fool has said in his heart there is no God, that's Psalm 14.1, when the Scripture says that, it's not just throwing out a pejorative. It's not name-calling. It's describing the heart's posture that is there. It's saying this person doesn't think rightly. They don't think clearly. They have a hard heart that is biasing the way They view all of creation. It's biasing the way they view, if you will, evidence. I've told you this before, and I'll say it again. You you can give all the evidence in the world to an agnostic or an atheist heart. That will not change their heart. You can give evidence after evidence. I've done it for more than 20 years. Evidence after evidence after evidence. That does not change a hard heart. It takes Christ working on that hard heart to give someone ears that can hear to give someone eyes that can see. I mean, Jesus is continually, He's saying these parables to all kinds of people and He's screaming at the end, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is He saying? He's saying some people have heard what I've said and they haven't heard what I've said. The Scripture is the tool that the Lord uses to pull off those scales. Speak it. Know it. Meditate on it. Learn it. Memorize it. Speak it out to others. Why? Because in doing so, this this is what has the power to bring salvation to man. Right? God has said of His Word, My Word will not return unto me void. It will accomplish what I've set it out to do. Paul Wilson's Word saves no one. God's Word, or Paul Wilson speaking God's Word, now has the power to bring salvation to someone. Because it's God's Word that has the power to open blinded eyes. It's God's Word that has the power to open those hard, that hard stony heart, to open those ears that were stopped up. The revelation of God in His world is amazing, don't get me wrong. But it does not trump the revelation of God in His Word. And we're going to get into that. Why is that? I told you that the revelation of God in creation is so obvious and so available that all people, according to Romans 1, are without excuse. We are without excuse, and in fact, we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness when we have hard hearts. In fact, let's, let's just go there. Turn with me to Romans one. Let's go to Romans chapter one. I'll go over it. I'll try to be quick. Romans chapter one. Let's start at 18. I'll do through partway through maybe 22, but I wish I had time to go through the entirety of that chapter because what we see at the end of chapter 1 is we see all kinds of, all manner of sin and sinful lifestyle, the same stuff that we see in our culture so rampant today. And the the interesting thing is in Romans 1, what we see is that this lifestyle is connected to this heart's posture. Where does this lifestyle come from? And what is the lifestyle that he starts talking about? A lifestyle of wickedness including the homosexuality that is now so popular. Where does this come from? It comes from a hard heart that is in rebellion to the Creator, that is suppressing the truth of God. It's not coming from a heart that does not know the truth. It's from a heart that says, I know the truth, and I don't want it to be true. I will press it down. Let's start at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. They know it clearly. In fact, the ESV renders it that way. They have clearly seen this. It's not that they have not seen the truth or can't see the truth. It's that they decide, I don't want to know the truth. I just want to be justified in my sin, in my bitterness, in my hatred, in my rebellion against God. And so, when you have evidence that shows clearly that I'm in the wrong, I won't see it. And we talked about that. Verse 20: For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. I just didn't have enough evidence. I would have believed in God if he just gave me more evidence. Oh, he gave you plenty of evidence. And you saw it clearly, and that's why you'll stand before him without excuse. Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 21. Because although they knew God, does it say that the unbeliever doesn't know God? I just want them That's why the, the, we use the term unbeliever, but we use it incorrectly. An unbeliever is not someone that doesn't believe in God. They know God's real down there in their heart of hearts. It's someone that says whether he's real or not, I refuse to obey. I shake my fist. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. And that's the root that that rebellion comes from. Oh God's I You know what God? I just don't like the way that you I don't like the rules you've told me to live by. I don't like the situation that I'm in. I'm, I deserve better. I'm entitled to better, God. I should have got that raise. I should have got the better thing. I should have had the better house. I should have. That's why it's, it's a, a massive part of even the Ten Commandments, right? Not to covet. Why? Because a lot of those other things come out of just covetousness. You can murder someone out of covetousness. You can get into an adulterous affair out of covetousness. That is the root, that is the heart's posture that's in rebellion to God. I'm not going to admit that he's the boss, and I'm not going to be thankful. He gave you life and breath. He didn't have to. You are not owed anything. God owes nothing to sinful wretches. God owes nothing to rebels. I want you to think for a second. If you're the king of all the world, what would you do to rebels? I mean, I can tell you this. In a sense, I'm the king of my house. I I do not permit rebellion. Right? What would you do if you were the king and you had all power and you had a rebel? How would you deal with him? You'd probably crush him, you'd destroy them. And instead, the king of all the earth says, Tell you what, I'll do for those rebels. I'll be whipped and beaten and mocked and scoffed and laughed at and made fun of and tortured, and I'll pour out my lifeblood for him. How about that? Would you do that for a rebel? You might do that for your own child, somebody that you loved, you really loved. Would you do that for someone spitting in your face, slapping you? Jesus did that for you. Although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were they thankful but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools if you'd like to see the unbelieving heart there it is it's incredible to me i've <laughs> i've had some of my own students who you know they score a 14 on the ACT but they're certain they are a genius Oh, no, I I know some really good arguments for atheism. Like, oh, I'm sure you do. You're so wise and erudite in your own mind, claiming to be wise. They became fools. Now we come to verses 7 to 14, and we'll see a major shift in the narrative here, right? After seeing and declaring all the majesty of God in His creation, after noting the sublime nature of God's glory in all that He's made, the psalm now tells us, hey, look at all of this stuff. Look at all of this incredible creation. And yet, there's something even greater than all of that. Greater than the majesty of God's power over His created world. Greater than the sun, the moon, the stars. What could possibly be that? The glory, the perfection, the majesty of God's word. Look, I'm a man of science. You know that. It's what I do. That's literally my full-time job. I'm a man of microscopes and telescopes and test tubes, and I love that stuff. I've spent years studying and teaching full-time in this field, but I must admit, along with the psalmist, there is something greater than all of that. Something that supersedes it all. Something that's not broken, And corrupted. And that's God's word. His word, pun totally intended, his word eclipses it all. His word outshines his world. There are people that will tell you they love to study science because they love to learn so much about God and his creation. And I get that. But I've spent more than half my lifetime studying it full time. But the truth is, one afternoon of God's Word can give you truth and insight that you can't get in a lifetime of studying through a telescope, through a microscope, through test tubes. And if you have to choose between the two, always choose God's Word. Much of the trouble we see in the evangelical church in America today springs directly out of holding to a low view of God's Word. It's sad, and quite frankly, it's frustrating to me. There are even people in the Christian community that will call science the 67th book of the Bible. That's rubbish. That's heterodoxy at best, but it's rubbish. And the reason it's rubbish is because those two revelations are not the same. Science and creation serves as God's general revelation. I'm glad it's there. But it's been broken. It is categorically different from God's special revelation. Why? Because God has promised to preserve His Word. He did not promise to preserve His world. That world was broken and marred by sin, and His Word tells us that. Romans 8.21 tells us that creation itself one day will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Okay, well that means it is in fact in bondage to corruption. It has been affected by sin. Has creation been affected by sin? Yes, absolutely. We believe in something called total depravity. That is, we believe that all of man, all of his being, his mind, his body, his soul, all of it has been affected by sin. Creation has been affected by sin, not just mankind. The animals today do do things that in the garden they did not. There are predatory relationships that are absolutely horrific today. There are animals that do not need to eat meat, and yet they will kill and eat other other animals simply because it's faster, it's more expedient, it's more efficient. Why not? Target of opportunity. Um, I'll tell you an illustration that just set me aghast. I was watching a little nest of doves. Um, I just thought it was so cute. There's a couple little babies, and, you know, mom is bringing food to the little babies, and she takes off, and I saw a woodpecker. Now, woodpeckers eat grubs, usually. Woodpecker comes down onto the nest after mom and dad are both gone, after you get the babies in the nest all by themselves, all vulnerable. Here's this woodpecker. He comes down to the nest, and he literally pops a hole in the back of both of those little babies' heads and slurped out the brains. I didn't even know woodpeckers would do that. I've got a degree in field biology, and I did not know woodpeckers would do that. And I can remember just being shocked. It was, it hurt me on the inside. How could that, how could he do that? And then I remembered, because you're in bondage to sin. The creation, we, mankind, rebelled against God's commands and broke creation. Yes, you can see things in creation, it's true, but creation does not serve as an infallible book about God because there's sin involved. Creation doesn't work the same way today as it once did. God's wor- uh, world has been corrupted by sin. God's word has not, and that's one of the things that makes it so incredible. Psalm 138.2 says this, you have magnified your word even above all of your names. Now that's interesting. By the way, Jesus did the same thing. You remember when Jesus gets out into the wilderness, gets tempted by the devil? He's out here fasting in the wilderness. The devil comes to him. Three times Jesus is tempted, and three times he responds the same way in a very interesting fashion. Jesus could have just rebuked the devil by by the authority of his position. I'm God. Get away from me. But he doesn't. Instead, all three times he responds with written word. All three times he responded out of Deuteronomy. The devil tempts him, and instead of saying, I am the creator God, get out of here. Don't you know my name is higher than all? He says, but it is written. It is written. It is written. And that should be our response as well. As Jesus' followers, he's setting the example. When we're in temptation, what should we respond? It is written. It's not just God's general revelation. This is His special revelation, His very words that He's disclosed of Himself to humanity. Words that came from the mind of God through the writers of Scriptures. That is enough to save the sinner. The general revelation of God's enough to condemn them, but it takes the special revelation of God to save them. That's why the Bible says there's no salvation without Him. We must have God's special revelation, His Word. There's no salvation without the Gospel. There's no Gospel without the Scripture. The specific words that reveal God's will, God's plan, God's purposes, God's way of salvation, God's way of living life is in this book. So Psalm 19 shifts from God's majestic creation to His perfect word. Now notice what it says. Notice verses 7, 8, and 9. There are six statements about Scripture. They are parallel statements, six lines of thought that are very similar, that run parallel to each other. Here they are. First statement, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's the only book in existence you can find that's perfect. Um, a few different times I've, I've gotten to be a part of different uh, authors who will send me books to review. And one of them was a logic textbook that I really like. They sent it to me. I'm one of the few nerds probably that read it. Hey, would you read this? Like, Absolutely. They're like, hey, if, if you'll review it for us, you can, you can keep a copy of the book and the workbook and all that stuff. To me, it was like, oh, that's easy. Yeah, absolutely. I get my own copy. Well, sure. I have never yet found a book that didn't have some error somewhere. It's error of punctuation, the wrong, the wrong word used wherever, spacing's bad, the typeset, whatever. Yeah, Except one. There is one, one word, there is one book that's free from error. The scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they're righteous altogether. Notice each of them says, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, by the way. It's emphasizing this book is not just from man. These are God's commands. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture is breathed out by God. The Bible is not just a a human book. It's not just a book written by men. It's a divine book. And notice that all of those six different things, those six different characteristics, also carry six benefits. Right? It restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart enlightens the eyes, it endures forever, and it produces comprehensive righteousness. It's perfect. Well, what do you mean by perfect, you might ask? When you say it's perfect, what do you mean? It doesn't have any flaws, right? No errors. Well, that is true, it doesn't have any flaws or errors, but that's not the end of it. It's also perfect in the sense of being the opposite of incomplete, It is perfect in that it is also complete. It is, the big word we would use would be sufficient. It is sufficient. It's not just without error, but it's also sufficient. It contains no error in any truth claim it puts forward, and it doesn't lack for anything either, and that's very important. Why? Because we have a lot of cults that will say, well, yeah, the Bible's good. You need to take the Bible and you add this to it, all right? Jehovah's Witness, you need the Bible and the Watchtower magazines and some other literature. And oh, by the way, that Bible you're using now, we need that. Use this one. The Mormons, hey, you need the Bible, it's good, but you also need to add the Book of Mormon and, you know, the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. You need to add these to it. Roman Catholicism, well, yeah, the Bible's good, but you also need these other apocryphal books. You need this canon law, you need these papal rulings. No, actually we don't. What do I need? I need God's word and none of that. Why? Because the law of the Lord is perfect. It's without peer. It needs nothing added to it. Verse 10 tells us the scripture is more to be desired than gold. Why? That was the greatest treasure of the day. The common man would go his entire life and never even see gold. He would use silver, small silver coins for his day-to-day operations. Gold was really only found in the house of royalty for the most part. This was the greatest treasure of the day. And he's saying, no, the scripture is even more to be desired than gold. It should be, in, in, in a manner of speaking, it should be our greatest treasure And the very next verse says, it's sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. It's it's greater than even the most pleasurable food of the day. It should be our greatest treasure, and it should be our greatest pleasure. This is to be our delight. Verse 11, moreover by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. It should be our greatest treasure. It should be our greatest pleasure. It's also our great protector. It's by the words of this book that God's servants are warned. It's by the wisdom of this book that you're protected. How can you you be sure? Do you know how much error is out there today? I mean, the internet has, has brought us a great many good things. And like all technology, along with the great many good things it brought, it's brought a great many bad as well. You can find hot heresy in a second today. I mean... You can find a dumpster fire of theology, and if you don't know God's Word, it looks good. How how can you keep from being that that tumbleweed? How can you keep from being that one that's that's blown about by every wind of doctrine? By knowing God's Word. If you don't know God's Word, you cannot have discernment. You cannot tell me that you're... This gets under my skin... I have people who do not know the word, but they're certain. God's given me a gift of discernment, brother. Has he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, if you don't know God's word, you can't have discernment. You can't know truth from error if you don't know truth. This is truth. Verses 12 and 13, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I'll be the innocent uh, I'm sorry, I'll be innocent of great transgression. So here God's word is also our purifier. Like the hyssop. Purify me with hyssop. We have a hard time sometimes understanding our own errors. Have you noticed that? Am I the only one that's noticed this really strange? thing that goes on in my heart, I'm not always really good at understanding my own faults, but boy, I am good at seeing them in others. Oh, got that gift of discernment, you know. Isn't it interesting? We, we are, Now, we can point it out in other people. We are, I heard a guy say one time, every, every Christian is a black belt. It's just that our black belts are in justifying our own sins. Yeah, yeah, if I do it, well, I had a good reason for it, but if you did it, I can't believe you did it. And so there are times, it's something of the horrific nature of sin, having a sin nature, is there are times we can be blind to our own sins. We can be blind to our own weaknesses, to our own errors, to our own faults. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, you're going to love me saying this, that's one of the reasons that the local church is so necessary. Because when you, a broken sinner who is saved by grace, and being sanctified and changed, when you come into close contact living your life with other saved sinners, you know what happens? There's some friction going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to have to have a heart's posture of humility. You're going to be forced to see your own faults. You're going to be forced to do this crazy thing called apologizing. You're going to be forced to say, you know what? I did that wrong. Would you forgive me? That's what marriage does. I was the perfect guy. I was the perfect guy for any girl until I got married. Right? And then I was living with a girl 24-7. She saw all my flaws and my faults and my failures. And what happens? Are a little bit of friction there, right? And I have to constantly go back and go, I didn't have this thing figured out near as much as I thought. It, I, was, I was actually talking to Governor Kelly last night, about that very thing, saying, you know, isn't it interesting, before you get married, you've got all the answers to marriage. Man, if those married people just listen to me. Then you get married and you find out, I didn't have as many answers as I thought. But when you're married without kids, you've got all the answers for people with kids then, right? I'll tell you what you should do. And you have kids of your own. I didn't have as many answers as I thought. Funny how that works, isn't it? How can we guard ourselves from that? Well, God's Word. God's Word is so deep and penetrating that it divides even to the spirit and soul, joint and morrow, the thoughts and intents of the heart. I can do something that looks good from the outside, and yet my intent in it, my motive in it was totally wrong. And how can someone else know that? Well, they can't, but God's Word can. It can get down to the root. It can get down to the morrow. It exposes everything. There's so much more I one. to say. I'm almost done. Look at this. this is, I should get a medal for this. In light of that, verse 14, this is actually a little prayer. This, this verse was a prayer that I memorized as a kid in that tiny little Methodist church. God bless my precious, faithful little Methodist mother. It broke her heart when I became a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Oh, we need Methodist ministers. (laughs) Sorry, Mom, I've been reading my Bible. My convictions have changed. My theology has changed. And here's what it says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let me ask you this rhetorical question. What are acceptable words? What's an acceptable meditation? If I want the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in God's sight, I have to figure out what what does that mean? And he tells us, it's not like he just leaves us without. Joshua, he tells Joshua, right? You're to be in this book. This will be in your heart and on your mouth day and night. You'll meditate on this. Joshua 1 8, the book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night. That's an acceptable meditation. Philippians four eight right think on these things Colossians three two set your affections on the things above Romans eight set your mind on the things of the spirit Matthew six thirty three seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you the truth of the matter is that whatever you decide to put into your mind will eventually come out of your mouth right out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks it does. So then the question becomes, well, what are you putting into your heart? I had a real problem. When I first got born again, I was 19, playing college football. That is not the environment where you're surrounded by a lot of sanctified saints, okay? I had a mouth that, in the words of my mom, could make a sailor blush. I had a coach. It was incredible how he could use curse words, like he could use them as... Verbs, adverbs, adjectives, string together a whole sentence like the only thing in there that wasn't a cuss word was my name. That was incredible. You know, right? He's got a real this guy's got a talent for this, right? Well then the question becomes, how does that change? Well, you have to start changing what's going into the mind. I had to start changing the music I listened to. I had to start changing the things I was reading, the things I was listening to. You know what I had to had to do? I had to take out the, the garbage, if you will, and start putting in God's word. And I, I noticed this very strange phenomenon. The more and more and more I put God's Word into my mind, the more and more and more it came out of my mouth. The more and more and more that I would memorize God's Word, the more and more and more it would come out in casual conversation. I didn't mean it to. I ended up testifying and, and, and witnessing to all of these people without ever meaning to. In fact, one time my wife asked me that when we first got married. She's like, how is it you just talk to people and you just like bring up, you know, God and His Word, or how you, you, know, you witness, and you're like, I, if I'm spending a lot of time with the Lord and in His Word, it just comes out. I don't necessarily mean it to. It's just part of my flow of my conversation. Because, because if you saturate your mind with this, it's going to eventually come out of your mouth. You saturate your heart with God's Word, it will come out of your mouth. The meditations of your heart will drive the words of your mouth. The meditation of your heart will drive the words of your mouth. If we truly want to be people who speak God's word, then first we're going to have to be people who, if you will, seek God's word. We have to be people who are diligent to read it. We're diligent to meditate on it. We're diligent to memorize it. And we're diligent to then speak it. I know sometimes it's scary to speak it. Because you think, I'll just sound so weird. Listen, there will be a day that your heart will stop, and you'll be in the presence of the Lord, and you will not be worried about whether you sounded weird in this life. You'll be wondering about those things you did for Christ, and could I have done more? Could I have spoken? I should have taken that opportunity to I, I should just there's never a time. I've been at bedsides when people passed away. I was, I was. I was there when my dad passed away. I was there right before my stepdad passed away. I've never seen someone on their deathbed go, "Boy, you know what I regret? I shouldn't have spent all that time memorizing the Bible." I've Never seen that, but I've seen the other. What do I regret? Uh, I regret the way that the way that I lived. I, in fact, my I had a person on their deathbed tell me, "They're like, you know what? I'm really I'm sorry that I was so greedy." I, it, floored me, took me out of left field like greedy hound. Oh, just, I spent so much time just thinking about how could I buy this land, how could I get this, how could I you know, increase the operation, and there was just so many things that I should have been focusing on instead. How interesting. Let me close by saying this. The psalm shows us clearly This book is not like every other book. The Bible is not like every other book. It's not a book just written by men. It's in a class all by itself. It is quite clearly divinely inspired. It is a special revelation of the one and only true living God to all mankind. It is Him revealing Himself to us. It is perfect. It is pure. It is without peer. We, as God's people, should receive it as such. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I ask that we would be a a people who hunger and thirst for your word. As the deer pants for the water, Lord, let us thirst for your word. Let it be an insatiable desire in our souls, Lord. Let us find it sweeter than honey. Let us see it as more precious than gold. Let it be said, Lord, of the people of this church, that they are people of God's word. Those people are people of the book. Let us be faithful to you and to your word. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I do want to say thank you one more time. You guys have had us here and rolled out the red carpet for us. Miss Penny has cooked for us, cleaned up after our messes, trust me, if you see me there's a lot of cooking and mess to go along with that so uh the 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 gingers have just rolled out the red carpet and and you guys as a church we just appreciate it so much it's been such a pleasure to be here haven't been here in 25 years something like that a long long time it's it's um it's just been a real encouragement to us and it's been a real pleasure to be here so thank you so much Praise God. Thank you, brother, for that.